0: It's good to see y'all this morning, here in the name of Jesus Christ. Why don't you go ahead and greet those around you in his love. Well, welcome to Creekside Church this morning, and uh, good to see you here. And uh, I just want to announce again today that uh, this evening is the first night of our Creekside U class on eschatology. It's the study of the last things, and I don't know how many of you woke up this morning thinking, my Lord Jesus Christ could come back today. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sobering thing. I didn't either, but um, it is good to think about. And um, we're going to be going into the la- study of the last things of the return of Jesus Christ and the events around his return. It's a very good thing if, if you're relatively new to the book of Revelation and the study of the last things, or, you know, if you need a refresher, or if, it, if you've been around a long time, and you know what, it's just good to think about the return of our Lord, uh, no matter how much you know about it. And uh, tonight's from 6 to 8. If you've got kids, we're going to have a supervised kids' room uh, up in the youth room. So don't worry about that. Um, You know, when we think about prophecy, uh, a lot of people just don't think about it, really. I mean, people are indifferent or apathetic for whatever reason. I mean, maybe it's because it's been so long since the Bible was written. Uh, maybe because there's been so many date setters and you know remember just a few years ago there was that Herald Camping on the radio and on the billboards and everything that said the Lord was going to return on May 21st 2011 and you know it didn't happen and so maybe people are disillusioned uh, certainly gives a bad name to Christianity when people do that but you know what the the Lord tells us to be ready and to watch for his return uh, whatever year we're in. It could have been 2,000 years ago. It could be today. It could be 10 years from now. We don't know, but we're told to be ready and to watch for his return. And so I'm excited about this. This is a great opportunity to go deeper into the study of the last things. And uh, if you can make it, that would be great. We'll do it this week and next week from 6 to 8 p.m.
1: have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 1. I will say this, uh, hearing you guys clap makes me feel a lot better about my own musical ability. So thank you for that. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. I'm going to go ahead and read the first 25 verses in Genesis chapter 1, so buckle up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with, every with which the water teams according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for for your word. God, we thank you for creation. God, we thank you for the beauty in creation. God, we we thank you for the foundation you've given us right here in Genesis chapter 1. God, we pray that we would study, that we would know, that we would seek, uh, God, for you to teach us your ways, teach us about your creation, and teach us here from Genesis chapter 1. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis uh, 1 is, is probably one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. There's obviously many different views when it comes to Genesis chapter 1. My encouragement, and what Alan encouraged you to do last week, is get in there and study this. Read it. You know, if you have a good commentary, Alan recommended a couple last week. Begin to study, because this passage in Genesis 1 really sets the entire foundation for all of Scripture. And without an understanding of the truth that is brought out in Genesis chapter 1, it is very difficult to understand the other truths of Scripture. And, and, and so while Nick mentioned this, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, when reading through the New Testament, the, the principles and the foundation is set. And it's set all the way back down in Genesis chapter 1. I think the real intent of this message the the real foundational message found in Genesis 1 is that for our lives, it is to be a God-centered life, a life centered around the Creator. I think that's the real message, not only of Genesis 1, but of the entire Bible. Uh, there, there's a movie, I'm sure you've probably seen it, right? Baby, Okay. You've probably seen this movie, The Wizard of Oz. Anybody seen that movie? Okay, Wizard of Oz is a movie that came out in 1939 and finished second to Gone with the Wind for the movie of the year. But uh, it's a well-known movie, The Wizard of Oz. And it's a story of Dorothy and her friends as they're going down the yellow brick road. And, of course, it's a very iconic movie, so much so that people have written songs about this journey, right? And so they're, they're on this journey down the yellow brick road. And where are they off to? Now I already told you I don't have a lot of musical ability or I would sing that song where off to, to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz, right? And so on this journey to go see the wonderful wizard of Oz who is going to help them with whatever their void is, right? Whether it be the heart or the mind or courage or whatever they are lacking and missing in their life, they're off to see the wizard, the one that could help them. And so they get to the Emerald City and they get here and now they are in front of this wonderful wizard of Oz and and something happens. And that little dog, Toto, right? Isn't that his name, Toto? Toto comes up and he kind of drags the curtain. And behind the curtain, what do we see? We see an an old man pulling the levers and strings and whatever not to, to give, really make people believe That there is this wizard that they can go to and seek help for with their issues, with their problems, what they're seeking in life. And, And I think, I believe that the story of the Wizard of Oz is really the story of modern man. That modern man is on this quest, they're on this journey for meaning, and they're seeking God in this journey to fill whatever void there is in their life. They're seeking it. They're longing for it, and they're on this journey to find it. But the world around them, our enemy, whispering in their ear, right? And the world, modern man, is hearing this lie. There is no wizard, right? There there is no wizard. There is no God. And much like this this wizard who when encountering these four and they realize he's, he's not real, what does he say to him? He says, Well, he gives him advice. You know, where do you find that strength? You find it within yourself. And he gives him a little medal and he says, Okay, now you can have courage. Now you can have strength. Why? Not because the wizard's given it to him, but because within themselves they can find it. Within themselves they find their salvation. And this is the battle. This is the belief that modern man has that on their journey, if they want to find meaning, fill that void. Love, strength, courage, whatever it might be, they find it within themselves. Within themselves lies the salvation. And as we study Genesis and we look at the foundation set in Genesis chapter 1, we see that's anything but the truth, isn't it? That in Genesis chapter 1, we see creation. We see the creator. We see the world as God intended it to be, and that was designed for us to worship God him to seek him the one true god and so there is a battle and i think knowing and understanding the the foundation of the bible and the foundation here found in genesis chapter one is crucial it is so important for us that if we live if we seek to live godly lives if we seek to follow what the bible would tell us and how we should live our lives we must understand these foundational truths in the book of Genesis it begins here in Genesis this central story of the Bible we know and we understand that the central story of the Bible which begins right here is simply this that that God had created a world right this is the world in which God intended the way God intended it to be and then something happens in Genesis chapter 3 and sin enters the world and the rest of the Bible right speaks of God redeeming the world and his people Someone told me recently, says, Kyle, I really think you can, you can break down the Bible into two sections. You can go Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then the rest of the Bible. Because Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God creates the world. The world is ruined because of sin enters the world. Man ruins the world. And the rest of the story is God, as Nick already talked about, but God redeeming. God looking to redeem this world and his people. And one day right? A new heaven and a new earth one day. This is the plan and this is how the Bible lays out, the central story of the Bible. We must understand that as it's laid out in Scripture and as Genesis 1 tells us that this life is, it's not about you. This life isn't as the Oz and that little old man behind the curtain would lead us to believe salvation is not found in ourselves but in him and in the finished work of the cross, in the work of Jesus Christ. And the foundation for that is laid out in Genesis 1, that salvation is not from within, but salvation is from him alone. And it begins in Genesis chapter 1. There's a few things uh, I want us to see. You know, obviously the foundation for what is going on is laid out here in Genesis chapter 1. If we we start anywhere, uh, you know, I would encourage to read through the gospel of john it's a great place but to understand it all we need to come back to genesis we need to come back to the beginning of the bible because it lays the foundation is the pillar for our faith and our entire belief system so as we look at genesis chapter 1 today i want to share four points four points for you the first one is this it is the doctrine of creation the doctrine of creation now there are many different views and what i want to talk about here is there's there's many different views on how this world was formed, right? You can go to our school system, and the school system is going to throw out creation, and they're going to talk about evolution. And they're going to try to pit science, right? They're going to try to pit science against religion, Christianity, the belief of the Bible against what science says. And there's that battle that, that's taking place. Now, my, my encouragement and my, my challenge to you would be, we don't have to take that. It's not It's not something where you have to take sides. Okay, I'm going to choose science or I'm going to choose creation. True science, right science, is going to back up what the Bible teaches. It's going uh, to reinforce the truths of Scripture. Right science, good science, is going to do that. And the reality is, many of the founding fathers of science, like my boy here, Isaac Newton, many of the founders of the founding fathers of science, were devout Christians. Isaac Newton wrote more commentaries on the Bible than books on physics, and he's still considered one of the great minds of science ever, a devout follower of Jesus, because true and right science reinforces the truths of Scripture. Now, we know that there's other science out here that may contradict, but science all the time changes, doesn't it? All these scientists come, all right, I've got new science that replaces the old. Well, why is it replacing it? Because it wasn't right. So we know not all science out there is right either. So there's not the battle. I don't want you to have to take sides. We don't have to do that. But that battle takes place. Now, a few belief systems here uh, as far as the views in talking about the doctrine of creation. Now, the first thing I would say is, is this, that, that we must be careful not to confuse our interpretation of Scripture with what the Bible really says. Okay, I think so many times people in the world today, they, they try to take what the Word of God says and then they try to take their belief system and they try to squeeze the Bible to make it work with their belief system, right? Well, when we, start, we talk about foundation and pillars of our, of our faith, it, that's backwards. It's the exact opposite. We need to take the Word of God And our belief system should be centered around what the Word of God says and not the other way around. And it happens too much in the world we live in now. Here's what the world says or here's what's going on. It's like God didn't know what he was doing in the beginning, right? Well, he did. We're going to talk about it, but God was a God of order. From the beginning, knew what he was doing, right? God is unchanging. God knows the plan. God knows what he's doing. The Word of God does not change. And so it's important for us as we look at Genesis specifically and we begin to lay the foundations of our faith that we understand it begins here. And our faith and our, our belief system and how we live our lives out and how we live the truths of Scripture out, it starts with an understanding of the foundations here in Genesis. So we must understand that. So, so some of the belief systems, uh, you know, as, as, as looking at Genesis chapter 1, some would say... Uh, there, there's a battle even, even in, in uh, the Christian faith, even of those who, who are followers of Jesus. Some want to call uh, the day, right, the seven days of creation, and they want to talk about it not in a sense of a day, but more of in a time period. Okay, Now, this isn't, this isn't abnormal for the Bible to talk about days in, the, in time periods. In fact, you can read, and it will talk about the days, of king david or the day of the lord or a thousand years is like a day a day is like a thousand years so it's not uncommon for that to happen however when you look here in genesis chapter one it's very distinct in the fact it says morning and evening morning and evening right and the next day and so it it lays out in that sense that here is day one and then we're on to day two unlike those other places in scripture which clearly are talking about an era That that same clarification does not happen here in Genesis chapter 1. Others might say uh, that take this view, they would say as you read Genesis 1, it it seems more like a song or poetry, right? There's some that would take this view, and, and that's not uncommon for the Bible either. In fact, you can look in Exodus 14, and you can see the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And after this happens in Exodus 14, Exodus 15, Miriam sings a song about it. We see the same thing in Judges chapter 4. Uh, The Israelites defeat the Assyrians, and in Judges chapter 5, Deborah sings a song about it, right? And it's kind of just more poetry about what took place. The problem with that is this does not carry the same kind of poetry that those would do. It's It's a little different writing than the rest of Genesis. But all of Genesis, starting here in chapter 1 and working all the way through, is historic narrative. And it's very clear, especially chapter 2 on, that it's very clear that all of Genesis is historic narrative. It's Moses, as Alan talked about us last week, telling the story of what has taken place. And so there's no reason, and nowhere evidence anywhere else in Scripture would tell us otherwise that Genesis chapter 1 is different than the rest of the book of Genesis. That Moses telling the story of creation and what took place you'll also see some that that will take and they'll look at verse 1 and 2 and say god created but then they're starting in verse 3 was a re-creation of what took place a re-creation of the world in other words verse 1 and 2 and then there's a long pause many thousands of years and then god starts again in verse 3 well there's no evidence to back that there would be any kind of pause in that and on top of that you have a couple problems uh, one, you have this idea of, of and, uh, what, what God says here in, in verse 2. Moses lays out, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, people that hold this view sometimes will say that as the end of verse 2 happens, God creates the world, and then there was just chaos throughout the world. Chaos took place. It reigned over. Now, there's a couple problems. One, the Spirit of God is present. Verse 2, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So there's no sign of God creating the world and then just abandoning it and leaving it and letting it go. Some that hold this view would also say that during this time, and again, they're trying to get evolution and science to kind of back what they, what they, what they believe, they would say this is kind of where other species, other animals may have lived during this time. Now the problem with that is, if you look in Romans chapter 5, it tells us sin... Enter the world when? Genesis chapter 3, which took place after this, right? God had created the world in the way in which he tended it to be, and then Genesis 3 happens. Sin enters, because man fell, and sin and death enter the world. Sin and death enter the world. So there's no backing to support that. And so what we see, and as we would believe uh, here at Creekside, and we believe the Word of God says, that these would be literal days that there is nothing in Scripture that would tell us otherwise than to think that these are, in fact, seven literal days in creation. Uh, one other verse I would share with you to kind of back this point of view would be in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, this is uh, God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. One of those Ten Com- Commandments deals with the Sabbath, right? Right? Well, in the Sabbath, he says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And here's the reason why. For in six days God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is within them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Right right in Exodus we see it, literal days. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh day... That is a day of rest. And as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see that, yeah, very much, the nation of Israel, they held to this. Six days, rest on the seventh. Why? Because it was laid out that way for them in creation. That's so important for us, that one, that we understand the the foundation here, but two, throughout the Bible, oftentimes when a, a lesson is being taught, we go back to the basis of creation. Hey, this is what we need to learn, and the reason for that is here is how God created it. Jesus taught that way. Jesus often would go back to creation, right? You live this way because God created it that way. Paul would do the same thing. In his teaching, he would go back, not because, hey, here's what's going on, the time the world into which we live. No, it's this way because God created it that way. So it's important to know that our our belief system, how we live out the Word of God, comes from this foundation in Genesis. So it's important to know the doctrine of creation. The second thing we want to talk about is the order of creation. And I'm not talking about the order as far as here's the events in which they happen, that's part of the order, but the order more in creation. That we have a God that is a God of order. As Nick brought out this morning, God knew what he was doing. From the beginning, God had a plan. God knew what was going to happen. God knew the plan. And God laid it out perfectly. And we see that even in creation here. The whole section here in Genesis chapter 1 is kind of arranged by sevens. There are seven days. The first sentence in the original text was seven words. Mike uh, was telling me yesterday, and he did a study Wednesday with the youth group, Within it, those seven days of creation, uh, the author of the book he was using laid out that all seven of those days really represented a different attribute of God. It's uh, God said is found in there ten times, and some have compared those ten commandments that we were just talking about, that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai, comparing it to those ten times that God said. Even within creation, so we have the six days of creation, you see a parallel Between day one and day four, day two and day five, and day three and day six. So on day one, what do we see? Day one, light and darkness. God separated light and darkness. It was kind of the form that God was creating. And then day four, what do we see? God fills that form with the sun and the moon and the stars. And in day two... He creates the sea and the sky. He forms it. And day five, the fish and the birds. He fills it. Day three, dry land and fertile earth. Day six, animals and man. God knew what he was doing. This wasn't some random set, uh, you know, what should I do next? What's my next plan? No, we have a God and we serve a God of order. The God of the Bible is a God of order and plan, and it has been laid out perfectly in his creation. And that's why as we look today and, and maybe in this modern world in which we live and we face issues that we're confronted, okay, the truth of scripture versus what I believe and what was the Bible saying, what do I believe? It's so important that we understand that my God is a God of order and a God of plan, and he does not change. He has laid this out from creation, the way in which it should be. And it's so important to understand that. Uh, the next thing we want to discover is the goodness of creation. The goodness of creation. Uh, you will see over and over in this passage, he says, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. What would he do? God would would say, let there be, and there was, and he saw that it was good. Let there be, and there was, and he saw that it was good. His creation is good. How God has created and formed this world is good. Now, now we hear lies all the time, and many times the enemy wants to tell us lies. Is this, is this really the best? Is this really how God intended it? Is this really what God wants? And when encountered with that, we only need to go back to creation because God had a plan. God followed his plan. He's an order. He's a God of order. And the pillars and the foundation of our faith have been laid out in here. And what he has created is good. His creation is is good. His word is good. God is good. Amen? He is good. Genesis is, is foundational for that belief system. He has laid it out in his creation, in his word, and what he has done. It is foundational. I don't want you to be fooled because if our understanding ever comes in conflict, and, and maybe you've experienced this before, as I'm trying to decide, okay, Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I think the Bible says. Who's right? Well, if you're anxious about this, don't panic. You're wrong, okay? The Word of God is right. The Word of God is unchanging. Time, culture does not change the Word of God. Again, it's why we're coming to Genesis. It's why we're spending time in Genesis, because we need an understanding about the foundation, about the way that God has laid it out, about the pillars of our faith. Because without a solid foundation, man, our, our faith will waver. Our, our faith will crumble. It will fall. So it's so important to be grounded. There is goodness in his creation. I think that's seen in uh, a couple of verses throughout Scripture. You're going to see it in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Creation speaks to the goodness of God. Psalm one, uh, 19, one through 2 says basically the same thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Creation speaks to the goodness of God. There is goodness in his creation. I, uh, this, this past Monday, I, I, I uh, went to see a kidney doctor. And reason was, I told you before, but I get kidney stones often. And passed two last week. And... They did a CT scan at the time. This is when you feel sorry for me. They did a CT scan at the sign and found 12 more kidney stones in my kidneys. About six or more in each, they said. So I don't know if you had, anybody had a kidney stone? They kind of, they kind of hurt. Okay, so they tell me I've got 12 more kidneys, so I went to see the, the, the kidney doctor. And so in meeting with the kidney doctor, you know, I felt like this was one of the greatest educational experiences of my life. And so I sat down with him and he pulled out a little board, and he begins to draw a kidney, and he he showed me a picture of the kidney. He says, all right, Kyle, I'm going to put this in in plain English for you. And I didn't understand much of what he said, but he said, here's the great thing about the kidney. It is the greatest filter you will ever see. No man could ever create a filter like that of your kidney. And he says, you know why that is? He says, God, God created. God created filter in your kidney and he showed me on the kidney he says okay these are all filters but within those filters there's hundreds of other filters within those filters and they take all the junk out right of your body and he said it is the greatest filter how cool is that that something like our kidney can can be such a wonderful creation that no man could create anything like that and look at about any organ of the body Just looking at his creation, and that would be us as well, his creation, looking at it and studying it, you can't help but be blown away by the awesomeness of God, by the creativity of God. It can't help you look at it and say, you know what, a design like that, there has to be a designer. A creation like that, there has to be a creator, and those verses we read in Romans and Psalms, they indicate that. As we look at creation and we see God's creation, we can't help but note that there has to be a creator. There has to be one with this kind of design. Because no man could create something like that with what our heart, our kidney, the functions of our body, our reproduction, all that I mean, the The faith it takes to say that could just come into existence to me is far greater faith than the truths of the Bible and the history that's laid out in the Bible. What an amazing thing. Uh, Alan shared it last week when he was talking, and just the design of our, our moon and the, the eclipse, that no other planet is like that. The perfect size, the perfect distance from the sun that we could experience like that. It's because we have a creator, a great designer. There is goodness in his creation. God loves his creation so much that we we shared a verse out of John chapter 1 today, but God loves his creation so much that God sent his son into the world. That John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word. And we're told in John chapter 1, the word became flesh. Jesus, God, comes to earth it's because god has such a great view a high view of creation such a high view john three sixteen tells us for god so loved the world and world there actually deals with this word cosmos he has such a high view of the world he sent his only son for us for his creation it's an incredible thing the Bible tells us that on the last days, all will bow. All will bow, and they will recognize his handiwork, his creation. The last thing I want us to see is the experience of creation, our, our part in this, the experience of creation. I saw recently uh, Elizabeth Elliot would make this claim, and people she was talking to, she would, she would, she would tell them that clams, clams glorify God more than you and what she meant by that she says the the ocean has beauty and clams are fascinating but why why are they glorifying god it's because they are doing exactly what god has created them to do we are god's creation and god has intended us as men and women to live in a certain way to live as god has created us to live and I think there's something beautiful about when his creation is reflecting the greatness and the majesty of God. And it can be seen in you know the birds singing or the stars at night, the handiwork, his great creation doing what God has designed them to do. And God delights in that. God delights in his creation, doing what is intended it to do whether it be the stars or the birds or the clams or whatever it might be. And the question then comes back to us on that journey that we're on. I think every every single one of us, every person that has ever lived, they're on a journey to fill a void, aren't they? There is that void in our lives. And people will seek it in all different places. They may seek it in finding approval and love from their parents. They may find it in seeking love from their children. Maybe in in pursuing a spouse that would give them that kind of approval. Maybe it's work that they can find and fill that void. The reality is that void is going to remain there. It's going to stay Unless we meet and we understand who our Creator is and what He has given us in His Son, Jesus. That void will remain. And you can try as you may. You can seek love in all different places. You can uh, seek satisfaction in all different places, but it will remain. Jesus, as we talked about, came to earth. The Word became flesh. And at his baptism, uh, the Spirit ascends upon Jesus, and then God makes this claim, and it's the only time we see this claim, he makes this claim that this is my Son, whom I am pleased. This is my Son. The approval that we all seek, that only God can fill, was given to Jesus right there and here's the beautiful thing for us is that as we talk about genesis and we look at creation and the fall but ultimately the redemption of man that takes place at the cross that at the cross colossians 1 tells us that we have been reconciled to god without blemish we have been reconciled without blemish and if we accept the truth and the word of the gospel, if we accept what Jesus has done for us, how he has gone to the cross on our behalf, how, how he became a curse for us, he took upon all that, 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 that sin, all that we've done in our lives that would have God turn his back on us, he took it upon himself and became that curse. So God can look at us and say, I approve. You are good. There is worth. I approve. And it's by no, no merits of our own, is it? It's by nothing that we have done. All that we do would fall short. But when I accept the truth of the gospel, that Jesus had to come and reconcile because sin entered the world, because this creation is ruined, Jesus had to come, and he had to take it for me. When I accept that, and I understand that, Jesus can look upon me and say, I, I, I approve, I approve. Uh, Nick this morning uh, called me up, and, and many of you know uh, John Collier uh, used to go to this church, and, and his dad right now is in Africa, and they received an email this morning uh, that while in Africa, his his dad passed away. I think uh, probably couldn't be sixty, somewhere low sixties. A man of God, a man who loved Jesus, a man who's on a mission trip right now in Africa, to further the kingdom of God. Now, you know, my heart hurts for John's family and for his wife. But but what a beautiful thing that John, because he had accepted, because he understood that Jesus had come, that the, the work of the cross had been for him. He knew it, he understood it, and he believed it. God looks at him and sees approval. God looks at him and now he is with Jesus, standing face to face. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. We're going to take the bread and the juice and we want to remember this incredible thing that God has done for us and his son. We live in a broken, a lost, and a fallen world. And we can go back to creation and we look at in Genesis chapter 3 in a few weeks and we see that. And because of that, we must be reconciled to God. Because sin entered the world, we all were born into sin we're all born into slavery and we all need to be free to that and there's only one way for that and that's jesus christ and unless we know the power of the cross the forgiveness found the new life found in jesus by his finished work on the cross we'll never know the approval of god that's the key that's all that matters that god would say well done like he's doing to john well done good and faithful servant. Well, let's celebrate Jesus. Let's remember this great thing he has done for us, that the God, the creator of this world has given us his son. And if you don't know it, there's no time like right now. There is no time like today. The creator, the one who has created this world and created you, has given you such an incredible gift in his son Jesus. And the Bible tells us all we need to do is confess. Confess we are lost. Confess we have sinned. Confess we have fallen short. Believe in our heart. Confess with our mouth. And you shall be saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the incredible truths found in your word. God, we thank you for the foundation we see in Genesis chapter 1 that lays out for us the truths of all scripture. God, we see the creation, the way you intended this world to be, and ultimately we will see in Genesis 3 the fall of man. But how cool. The rest of the story is you reconciling your people to yourself. And it only happens through Jesus. And this morning we want to remember that Jesus went to the cross for me. For me. His body was broken. His blood was shed For me, may that truth ring true in our lives. God, through Jesus, we know we find approval. But it's only through Jesus, only through him can we find your approval. Thank you for that incredible gift you have given. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (music) i i <music> Pray, God. We we thank you for Jesus. God, may we turn and gaze and look upon Him. God, we know that through Him, through acceptance of His finished work on the cross, through acceptance of Him being our Lord and our Savior, You look upon us. By our merits, not by what we've done. By Jesus. Thank you for Jesus.